Good morning. I've been thinking and praying for our congregation. I want you to know that you are loved and you are missed. You know, last week, Pat Crowder and Pastor Barry encouraged us to um, pare down or decrease the non-essential activity in order to increase our capacity. And uh, I kind of understood that of receiving from God and, and for giving to others. And I've kind of been contemplating that throughout the week. And I was like asking the Lord, uh, Lord, what, what's the important things? Like the important things, the things that I need to pare down, but the, what is the important thing? And then it came to me, what is the one thing? What is the one thing? And, uh, and I asked the Lord, I asked the Lord that, and I was reminded of two people, two people in the Bible and, uh, that wanted or were doing the one thing. And in Psalm 27, 4, it says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, and this is David who is saying this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. He said, the one thing I ask, this that I seek, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Why? To gaze upon the Lord's beauty and to seek in his temple. And I thought, ask. One thing I ask, one thing I seek. He said, and then it came to me that you as my mind thinks, it's like, ask and seek. You know, Matthew 7, 7 says um, to ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. And then Matthew six thirty three, where it goes into seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things will be added unto you. The one thing for David was to live in the Lord's house all his life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him, to inquire of him in his temple. And I thought, oh Lord, to have the heart of David. And then the other person that I was reminded of who did the one thing was in Luke 10, in verse 38 to 42, there were two sisters that Jesus visited, Martha and Mary. And Martha opens her home to Jesus her sister Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him, to what he has to say. And Martha is distracted and she's preparing things and getting things ready. And she asks Jesus, don't you care that my sister is leaving me with all the work to do? And I'm thinking by myself, like she's not around. But instead of asking Mary herself, which Martha could have done if she would have taken emotional, healthy spirituality, Martha asked Jesus, tell her to come help me. But Jesus replied, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about the many things. He said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're upset about the many things. And I was like, that could be Deb, Deb, you're worried and upset about all these things. And then he goes on to say, but there's only one thing that is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. What was the one thing Mary was doing? She was sitting and listening to Jesus. The one thing for David included gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him. And for Mary, it was sitting and listening to Jesus 
It's funny, this last couple of months, I've been pondering on this phrase that keeps coming to me, is practice the presence of Jesus. And, um, and so I guess I do inquire of the Lord because a lot of times I have more questions than I do answers. And I'm like, all right, Lord, so what does this mean? Um, practicing your presence. How do I practice your presence? And so this is what I've discovered so far. Because amidst all the stuff going on in the world, amidst the crazy weather, weather patterns and the, the strife and et cetera, um, we practice the presence of Jesus. So during this time, there's been a lot of pandemic anxiety or tension. And uh, do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? When do I wear a mask? Who do I hug? Who do I not hug? Who can I hug? Can I hug my family? Just all these tensions that come up just with, with what's going on. The racial tension and, and anxiety of, of people not treating each other with respect and uh, the sadness of people hurting each other and the lack of goodness. And then to add on top of that is the elect, election uh, tension uh, that's coming up and, and the ads that they put each other down or, or the right side or the left side or the life side or the death side of babies and, and the sex trafficking and then, and then all of that stuff. And then to even add on to that, this fire that's going on throughout California and Oregon and and the weather anxiety because the fire brings the, the heat and the smoke and the list goes on and on. And, and because of compassion and because of hurting for people and wanting the best for them, and yet it isn't there yet, <laughs> and not knowing stuff builds up a lot of stress. And we either realize it or we may not even realize it. And this is on top of the regular stuff that we deal with, our work, our school, our family, just life in general. This is a different season. It's not the norm, which is probably good, but I don't know if the norm normally is even going to come back or work anymore. And we really can't go back to the same old, same old. There needs to be increase of Jesus and for me to decrease everything else. Which I believe is what Patrick and Pastor Barry were saying. John says in John 3.30, He must increase and I must decrease. For me, as for believers in the one true God, the one thing I believe is that we are to practice the presence of Jesus. And that's how he increases. And when we practice the presence of Jesus, there's power, there's peace, and he prepares us to give his presence to others. There's power being in the presence of Jesus brings change. The first week in our September journal reading for our Thrive Journal, I was, I was undone by the power of being in the presence of Jesus along with his compassion. We read about Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus ran up into the tree in order for him to see Jesus. And as Jesus is walking along, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he says, I want to go to your house today. And Zacchaeus gets down and brings him to his house. And, and I know like the, some of the leaders were like, does he know he's going to a tax collector's house? This man's a sinner. He takes away from other people. But yet, Zacchaeus being in the presence of Jesus was so changed. 
his heart was, was probably filled with remorse because it says he wanted to give back and even give back more than what he had taken. We read about the demon-possessed man who lived among the tombs. And he, when he saw Jesus, he ran to him. That just stuck out in my mind. He ran to Jesus. And, and they have a conversation. And, and he has many demons in him to the point where when the demons asked to be give, going into the uh, pigs, there were 2,000 pigs, I read, that went down the hill. And I thought, 2,000, that's, if there was one spirit in each pig, that is a lot of spirits in this man. And my heart just started to ache because there's so many homeless and people who are dealing with, with and I believe there's some spirits that are just, they just have that mental illness. And it's like, Lord, there needs to be a healing. And that compassion, just I just started feeling for people. The blind man that Jesus healed and put the mud on his eyes and, and told him to go. And, and then he was, he was able to see. And I was like, so many people who need to just see, Lord. Maybe they're not physically blind. Maybe it's just spiritually blind. But, but man, it just, it just, that obedience. And that obedience brought that vision. And then Lazarus, where Jesus himself wept. Jesus himself was filled with compassion for Lazarus. The thing about Jesus is that he meets us where we are. Whether we're up in the tree, whether we're amongst the tombs, whether we're in a grave, you don't have to clean up to be with Jesus. You just be who you are because he loves you just the way you are because you are you. Change comes because of his love for you. But yet we have to choose it. Zacchaeus chose a way to find or to see Jesus. The demon-possessed man ran to Jesus. The blind man chose to obey. Lazarus, <laughs> he answered by coming forth when Jesus called him. There's power in Jesus' presence. And just this week, our reading included the 12 disciples who were sent out. Jesus, it says he gave them power and authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases, to preach the kingdom of God, and to heal the sick. And they went out and they did it. And you talk about power because they spent time with Jesus day in and day out. When we're in the presence of Jesus, there is power. When we're in the presence of Jesus, there is peace. Last week, uh, (laughs) I was contemplating um, how you can be at peace when around you it can be noisy and maybe a little chaos and and stuff going on and, and how sometimes you can be in total peace around you, but yet there's noise going on inside your mind. For example, I grew up um, in a family, in our house, uh, they didn't know how to talk quietly. Um, Not that they're shouting, not that they're yelling at each other, they just uh, are loud, and there's lots of them. 
Um, but in the midst of all that noise, I remember I could sit at the dining room table and do my homework and block everybody out. Or I could read a book and just shut everybody out. So amidst all the noise, I was at peace in what I was doing. But yet, just this week, I am, I'm in complete quietness in my home. No kids, husband sleeping, and I am trying to do my devos. And the first part of Electio Divino is silencing your mind and your heart and preparing to receive what God has for you. And my mind was so full of noise that it took a while for it to quiet down. And I thought, man, there's so much noise amidst peace. <laughs> peace in the noise and noise in the peace. You know, there's storms all around us. There's circumstances swirling. And we need peace. And I thought, where was Jesus in the storm? And you know, in every single gospel where that story is mentioned, when they, uh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they get in the boat and they go across the Sea of Galilee and the winds start to rise and the storm starts to come and the disciples begin to get fearful and they start looking for Jesus, where was he? He was sleeping. He was resting. Jesus was asleep in the midst of the storm. In every single one, I looked to see Jesus was asleep or Jesus was at rest. He had no worries. So they go and they wake him up. And of course, Jesus gets up and he quiets the storms. He, he quieted the waves. He calmed the storm and then there was external peace that came also. And I thought, man, when we practice the presence of Jesus, we too can have peace in the storm. And so there were some verses that uh, I looked up about peace. In John fourteen twenty seven, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you? Let not your hearts be troubled. Never let them be afraid. Neither let them be afraid. John sixteen thirty three. he says, That in me you have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. One of my favorites, Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace, all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. You notice it's fixing on Jesus is what brings us peace. He is our peace who has broken down every wall. That was Ephesians 2.14 and Philippians 4.7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. So many good promises of peace in his word. And in practicing the presence of Jesus, there is peace. There is power, there is peace. And practicing the presence of Jesus prepares us. Just uh, this week, I received a book, just randomly in the mail, this book uh, appeared. And, and this guy named Matthew Kelly wrote it. He sent a letter that said each month he mails copies of uh, the book to a handful of people he never met, which is true. I happen to be one of those people. I've never met him. It's a book about truth, the beauty of the human spirit, 
when we collaborate with God to create holy moments. And I felt like this was a timely gift, and I wanted to share a story that I read out of this book. He tells a story of a successful business owner, but his business wasn't doing really good, and so these competitors were were expecting him to fail, and he had to decide um, what to do. And, and he thought, you know what, I'm going to give a dinner for my employees because I want them to know that they're important for the success of this business and, and then to tell them of the plan, uh, unveil my plan for this success. So he was, uh, the morning of the, the dinner, he was in his office, he's writing his, his speech and his wife comes in and expresses that she, you know, she's going to go do some errands and would he watch their son? And he was going to say, no, I have all this stuff, but he held his tongue and, uh, and he said, okay, he agreed. So she leaves. Ten minutes later, his son, seven-year-old, comes into his office, and he says, Dad, I'm bored. And <laughs> the dad spends some time entertaining him, trying to engage him in things while he's doing his speech, and, and he finally realizes, I cannot do this and, and finish this in time. So he sees a magazine on the table. He picks up the magazine, and he's flipping through it, and he finds a page with a picture of a very brightly colored map, and he tears out the page, and he tears it into a dozen of pieces, and then he, he uh puts it up in the air and he tells his son, son, if you can put this map of the world back together, I will give you $20. Well, the boy was saving for a toy since his birthday and he needed $20 for this toy. So he's like picking up the pieces and dad says, okay, that'll keep him busy for a while because I don't think he has an idea what the map of the world looks like. So he goes back in his room and he starts up on his speech again. Five minutes later, the boy arrives. He knocks at the door and he holds up the completed map. And his dad is astonished, like, how did you do this so quickly, son? And he says, well, dad, I don't know. I don't have any idea what the world map looks like. But as I was picking up the pieces on the backside, I saw a man. And I know what a man looks like. So I took a sheet of paper and I put it down and I put the man together. Then I put another sheet of paper on it and I tightly flipped it over and there was a map of the world. Because I figured if I got the man right, then I got the world would be right. And the father gives the son the $20, and then he knew the premise of his speech. If you get the man right, you get the world right. When we spend time in the presence of Jesus, we are prepared to be right, to be righteous, in essence, to be holy like him. In God's word, he says, be holy as I am holy. So later on in this book, uh, this is Matthew Kelly writes about or shares about holy moments. And I thought, oh, this is kind of what, it, it kind of went along with what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to convey. And so a holy moment, he says, is when we grow in character, virtue, and become the best version of ourselves. And they're all like interconnected. Character, virtue, and being the best version of ourselves and every time we're doing this we're living a holy moment he goes on to say we seek and we do what god is calling us to do Uh, so he says ask this lord what do you want most from me 
most for me and from me in this moment? I'll say that again. Lord, what do you want most for me and from me in this moment? And I was like, oh, so you seek what God is doing. You ask the Lord, ask and seek. Well, that's what we're, that's what we're, what we're supposed to do. It sounds familiar. So when we ask God, he states it may be a whisper at first and then it competes against other voices that may be vying for our attention. But the more we collaborate with God, the louder the whisper becomes. To me, I see it as it could be that compassion or it could be a pressing, a, a feeling that lines up with the word of God because God's always truthful to his word. And so our lives must line up with it. And doing this and asking the question is not in and of ourselves of what we can do, but it's intertwined with God's grace. So I wrote down a few holy moments that he shared. He shared what a holy moment would be. He says, beginning the day with a short prayer of gratitude and thanking God for another day of life. It could be an intentional act of love, like you're going out of the way to do something for a loved one of your spouse or your spouse, even if you, when you would rather not do it. He even said controlling your temper, even if you're fully justified in losing it. I believe when you encourage someone, when you affirm someone, or when you speak life to someone, that's a holy moment. You're patient with someone who's driving you crazy. You give someone in front of you your full attention. You ask God to lead and guide you, or you tell someone your faith story. Or maybe you make a meal for someone who needs it. I was thinking, pick up the phone and call someone when God puts them on your heart. Write an encouraging note. But it's putting someone before yourself. I mention this because I believe a holy moment is time spent with Jesus and to know what he's asking us to do. And when we practice the presence of Jesus, we give the presence of Jesus. I recently, I realized after reading this, I had a holy moment. We were traveling up north a couple of weeks ago and we were driving through Oregon and we stopped off at a rest area and I saw a young couple and they had a sign that said car broke. And when we drove up, my heart was just, just oh, like that, I, I felt really sad for them. And I knew God was doing something in me and and so I get out of the car, and there's two buildings, and they were in front of one building. I, was, I see the other building, and I thought, um, I'm going to go to the other building to go to the restroom first, and then I'll go over to them. Well, there were, God had other plans because that one was closed, and so I thought, all right, I'll go to the other one. And of course, they were in front of it, which meant I interacted with them before I went into the restroom. And uh, we had a conversation and uh, I was just asking the Lord, Lord, uh, you guide the conversation. Um, I ended up listening to their story. I gave them some money to help them out. And then it was, uh, I felt impressed to pray for them. And I asked them, can I pray for you? And they agreed. So I prayed over them, went into the building. And I knew coming out, I was like, Lord, what else do you have? Because I know I'm going to run into them again, going back out to the car. And uh, I was like, just bless them. 
So, um, you know, just, just blessed them and talked with them a little bit more and then um, went on my way. And uh, I told them they were, uh, I would continue to pray for them. And, and I did. They were continue to stay on my heart for almost a week. Even when we were coming back down, I looked to see... Um, because, of course, I don't want to get scammed. But it's like, you know what? When the Lord puts that on your heart, I believe God uses that for a purpose and for a reason. But what I realized was I spent time with God in the morning. I inquired of him, and he prepared me to give his presence. I think that's what holy moments are, giving his presence. And the more holy moments we have, the more we're going to be giving of his presence. So I encourage us to know the one thing like David and Mary, gazing on his beauty, seeking him, sitting and listening at his feet. We're to practice the presence of Jesus. Practice the presence of Jesus. Because when we practice it, it brings power, It brings peace, and it prepares us to give his presence. And as we are changed, as we are made right, as we are made righteous, as we are made holy, we change the world around us. One moment at a time, it could be one moment one day, it could be two moments the next, and then more the next until it becomes our lifestyle to live holy. You know, the Lord loves you, and, and you may be there saying, yeah, well, that sounds great to practice his presence, but man, I don't even know him. Then now's the time. God sent his son to die for you, for everything that you've done wrong, just so you can be restored to be with him. It's for us. He wants us. He wants you. So if that's you, then I ask you to pray this prayer with me. Just say, thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus, to take the price of, for everything that I've done wrong. Forgive me, Lord, and come into my life today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You give your life to Jesus. Mark it in the comments so we know, but also the angels are rejoicing. We are rejoicing. God is rejoicing. There is a whole party going on in heaven just for you. I pray God blesses you. He keeps you. His face smile upon you. I pray you have a good week. And hey, join us afterwards in the Zoom call so that we can share some of our holy moments that we've had. Love you.